We are in session number 15 in the life of Joseph, and we are looking at Genesis chapter 48, where we find Jacob about to die, and as a result, he calls for his uh, grandchildren, Joseph's children, to bless them. Okay. Now, if you notice, you know, it is now 17 years that uh, Jacob has lived in Egypt. Now, he came into Egypt when he was 130 years. Now, he is 147. When he came into Egypt in Genesis chapter 47, remember it's only two chapters, but 17 years have gone by in these chapters. So, we do not know exactly what happened, whether they had much of interaction, but you know, 17 years have gone by. When he first met Pharaoh, this is what he said. You remember? He told Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130, few and unpleasant, few and unpleasant. But now when he is speaking to Joseph at the end of his life, after 17 years, he's not speaking about the years of his life has been few and unpleasant. Now that he is nearing his death, he has spent time with his son Joseph, one who thought he was lost. He has recognized God's faithfulness in his life, even in these last 17 years. And he is aware that he is going to die soon. And he looks back with gratefulness of what God has done in his life. So he ends his life in that sense very, very well. Remember, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 tells us it is appointed unto man once to die and after that, the judgment. Once to die and after that the judgment. In the Hebrews Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, we find that the author selects this particular episode of Genesis chapter 48, you know, out of all the other experiences that Jacob had to show an example of faith. When it's written in Exodus uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 21, by faith Jacob when dying blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. This is the verse that the writer to the Hebrews speaks about an expression of faith that Jacob had. So we must you know, look at you know, this chapter this evening and find out how is this an expression of faith. And when he came to, his, uh, uh, to the end of his life, you know, how come he had changed? How come the trickster, how come the individual who was constantly cheating people now is able to give credit to God, give God his due, and worship him? Remember, there would have been so many other passages, isn't it, in Jacob's life? You know, maybe the, the vision that he had of the angels going up and down in the ladder at Bethel, that is not spoken as an expression of faith. Or the wrestling match that he had with the angel, that is not spoken as an expression of faith. And Or even the reunion that he had with his uh, son Joseph after so many years, that is not seen as an expression of faith. But what is mentioned here in Genesis chapter 48 is seen as an ex expression of faith. In other words, we can honestly say that Jacob ended his life or died very well. A person full of faith. Why is it so? Because here in this chapter, if you notice, 
he's passing on the faith that he had learned and experienced down through the years about God's faithfulness. He's now passing it to the next generation and the generation after that. So there's the first application that we pick up right in the very beginning this evening. The question is, are you passing your confession of faith, passing it on to the next generation, or is your confession of faith passing away with you? Now, you may say, now I must be thinking about death so soon. I'm a young person now. The application you know, from this would be, as you're growing older in your walk with God, in knowing God, is your faith increasing or is it decreasing? Is your confession of who you believe in, the faithfulness of God, becoming even more stronger in your life? Or because of events that have happened in your life thus far, has it become dim? That's an application that we must check up. Now, let's get to the passage this evening. And first of all, look at the setting. <coughs> look at the, the setting. This is Jacob's dying art. In verse 1, it says, It came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. Behold, thy father is sick. 17 years have gone by, so as soon as Joseph hears this message that his father is sick, he knows that he is not going to live long. 17 years ago itself, he had to be brought on the wagons. He was not able to walk that, uh, now, that well. Now, he is definitely much, much weaker. So, when he hears that he is sick, immediately, <coughs> what does he do? Joseph's deliberately hastens to meet up with his dad, okay? He deliberately rushes. He doesn't say, if he's sick, I will, I'm sure he'll get better, I'll put it off later. No, he's willing to leave aside his responsibilities you know, in Egypt and rushes to be with him. And not only does he rush, he also brings along with him his two sons, because remember in the Hebrew culture, you know, the elder of the tribe would speak a blessing to the children and to the grandchildren before they died. So as soon as Joseph hears the message that he is sick, he immediately gets his children together and rushes to meet with his dad to receive the blessing. Remember, Joseph had two sons. The elder son was called as Manasseh, which means forgetful or causing to forget. And he named him as Manasseh because, you know, he says, the Lord has caused me to forget all that he had gone through the previous years when he was estranged or taken away from his family. <coughs> the younger one he called as Ephraim, which means fruitful or doubly fruitful. So he says, not only has my uh, sorrow been taken away, now I've also got the second son. I'm doubly fruitful. So Joseph now makes a deliberate decision to say, I want to go and see my dad. I want to receive the blessing. <clears throat> Thirdly, we find the heritage of Jacob. The heritage of Jacob. Verse 2 tells us, and one told Jacob and said, <clears throat> Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee, and Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. 
sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said unto me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make of you a multitude of people and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. So he describes now all that God has done in his life. He gets straight to the point, isn't it? He doesn't sit and inquire, how are things with you? How is the weather? He gets straight to the point and says, this is what I want to share with you. What do I want to share with you? My relationship with God, the God who met with me, the God who has become personal to me. He vividly remembers this encounter that he had with God. Remember at Beersheba, when he was coming to Egypt, where God met with him and said, I will be with you, I will take you to Egypt, and your children will get back, you will die in Egypt. The assurances that God gave to him, now he remembers all that, how God has been faithful to the encounter that he had with him 17 years ago and gives proper credit to God. He gives proper credit to God. He does not hesitate to give God the credit for the blessings in his life. He doesn't say, this is because of my son Joseph that I've had a good life. He doesn't say, it is because of all that I have done that I've been able to you know, achieve all this. No, he gives credit to God. He is willing to, in spite of you know, his past, if you were to say, as a, a trickster, manipulator, now he realizes at the end of his life, it was not any of his manipulation. It was not any of his connections that got him to this place. It was purely, purely God's faithfulness. So he, got, he calls God, God Almighty, the all-powerful, or the God who is the El Shaddai, one who is totally in control of everything. So what Jacob wanted to pass on to Joseph is the heritage of remembering the promises that God had made to him. Remember, these promises were first given to Abraham, then to Isaac, and now he's now passing it on, if we were to say, to the next generation. And he's saying to Joseph, God has blessed us thus far. Joseph, God is also going to bless you and give you the promised land Canaan. Remember, Joseph is doing pretty well in Egypt, but Jacob is saying, hey, this is not your heritage. Your heritage actually is Canaan, because this is what God has promised. Don't ever forget that. So the heritage that we have is primarily not what the world can offer. The heritage that we have is only what we have in our relationship with God. If we know God as our Savior, then that is the greatest heritage that we have. As the song would say, you take the whole world, but give me Jesus. That's a heritage. So the second application that we pick up from here is remember the faithfulness of God. Remember the faithfulness of God. Look back into your life, even right now, how many years you have had, look back and see the faithfulness of God. Don't look at, you know, this is what I have done, this is what I have become. You know. Don't look at what you have. Look at how God has been faithful to you. And stop for a moment even this evening and say, thank you, Lord. If it was not for your grace and faithfulness in my life thus far, where would I be? 
Or even when you look at the last year, think of the faithfulness of God. Or even when you're thinking about all that's happening right now in the world and in our cities today, remember the faithfulness of God. It's our relationship with Him, the God's faithfulness, that will give us that heritage that we can pass on to succeeding generations. Thirdly, now we find the blessing that is going to be given. But if you notice, and you know, Joseph's older son is Manasseh. He is the one who gets the double portion from the Jewish angle of the blessing. But what does you know, Jacob do? He switches his hands over and gives the younger one the first blessing and the older one the second blessing. So that's why we will call this, if you were to say, the switch. Now, remember, previously, Jacob had received the birthright instead of his older brother, Esau. Remember that? Now, Joseph was to witness his younger son receiving the birthright rather than his elder brother. Okay, And now, obviously, this does not go down very well with Joseph because he tries to you know, change you know, Jacob's hand. But you find that you know, it does not happen. So here is a switching over of the blessings. How does it happen? First of all, there is a beautiful adoption that takes place. He says, you know, Jacob says, and now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Are mine. Remember, he says Ephraim and Manasseh. He doesn't say Manasseh and Ephraim. He says Ephraim and Manasseh. He says they are mine. Okay, they are mine. <laughs> so what he's saying is he's adopting the two boys, and they will actually be considered as Jacob's sons. Okay, or he is considered as the twelve tribes of Israel. If you look at the twelve tribes, we find jo Joseph's name won't be there, but it will be Manasseh and Ephraim. <clears throat> so, the sons of Joseph have been adopted into the whole lineage of Jacob. And through that, all the 12 tribes, all that's going to happen, the blessings is now given to them. Okay, so he, Jacob says, they are mine. They are mine. Even though they were born in Egypt, even though if you were to say they had Egyptian blood, okay, he says they are mine. Now I'm sure, you know, Joseph, when he heard that, he would have been extremely overwhelmed, isn't it? You know, because initially he would have had questions. Hey, look here, now fine, you know, my brothers are here, but you know, how will they respond to my children? They have been born and brought up here, and they would have looked maybe like Egyptians, you know. And they are two grown-up guys. Remember, by this time, they would have been around 20 years of age. They are not small kids anymore. No. <coughs> and that would have definitely touched the heart of Joseph to say, when Jacob says, these are now belonging to me. And that would have also put questions in the mind of Joseph to recognize, is he an Egyptian or is he a Hebrew. Does he belong to the Jewish tribes or he has spent so much time in Egypt? Is he becoming like one of them? So, what Joseph, Jacob was instilling in the heart of Joseph is that, hey, you guys are not Egyptians. You guys are actually Israelites. 
Remember, Moses also, later on we find, when he is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, he grows up, he still recognizes that he is not an Egyptian, but he is a Hebrew. This is what Tana, Anna is the beautiful adoption that takes place in this chapter. What's the application that we can pick up from here? Tana? With whom do you identify? Do you look out upon the world and say, I'm with them? Are you with the Egyptians and say, hey, this is you know, who I am. Egyptians have all the pomp and glory and glamour. I'm with them. Or do you look upon the people of God and say, I'm with them. And that's the lesson that Jacob wanted to instill in the heart of Joseph as well as his children. And that's the lesson I believe God wants to instill in our hearts. We have now been adopted into God's family. We are part of God's family. We are not family of the world. Now we have been taken from the world and we are made into his sons and daughters. So as a result, we have to identify not with the world, but we have to identify with God. And that's a question we must always ask ourselves. When the pressures come around us, you know, be careful. Don't side with the world, but rather side with God. Because Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 24 and 25, you know, to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. And he said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Once we have been adopted now, we are his sons and daughters. We need to live like children of God. Secondly, there is a, a bright future that you know, Joseph uh, Jacob is speaking about. He's speaking about a blessing now and he says, you are mine. And then suddenly, if you notice in verse 7, he thinks about his own wife. Rachel's death. He says in verse 7, But as for me, when I came from Paran, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, where there was but a little distance to go to Ephrathah, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrathah, that is Bethlehem. Maybe when he looked into the face of Joseph or his grandsons, he must have remembered his own wife, uh, and, uh, Rachel. Or also, when he speaks about Rachel, he is also connecting her with Canaan. Where, when he says she was buried in Canaan, and he's encouraging Joseph to recognize that particular truth, that the final inheritance that Ephraim and Manasseh will receive is not going to be in Egypt, but it is going to be in Canaan. It is going to be in Canaan. Jacob told Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. To the land of your fathers. It is as if Jacob is saying to Joseph, When you think of the future, do not think of Egypt. Instead, think Canaan. Instead, think of Canaan. So the application that we pick up from this is that our future, you know, our future is not in this world. So Jacob is reminding Joseph where he was from. He was from Canaan, and that is his promised land, and that is where his treasure should be. Similarly, once you have been adopted and become a part of God's family, our future is not of this world. So don't put your tent pegs too deep into this world. Look forward for the future that is to come. 
the Canaan land, the heaven that God has prepared for us. It is easy for Joseph, since he had grown up in the land of Egypt, to think that that is what the future was going to be for him and for his children. It is easy for us when you are growing up in this world to think about our future and the future of our children as what is going to happen in this world. But no, our future is not in this world. Our future is in the heaven that God has prepared for us. So Jacob is confident you know, that what God has promised to him about Canaan, Canaan would come true. That his descendants would inherit Canaan would come true. And he's now encouraging Joseph also to have that same hope. <coughs> now he calls his uh, uh, children Manasseh and Ephraim and now imparts the blessing to them. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to him, Father, these are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought, him, brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth. When he says, who are these? It is not that he is blind, you know, like his you know, father, so he could trick him, you know, between, you know, remember Jacob and Esau's story. But here, when he says, who are these? He's basically, you know, going to impart, you know, the inheritance, impart the blessing. So it is more like a legal terminology, okay? It's like maybe when a child is, you know, in the naming ceremony, the question will be asked, what name is given to this child? You know? Or maybe in a wedding ceremony, the question will be asked, who gives this woman to this man? Okay? These are legal terminologies. Okay? So when he says, you know, who are these? You know, he wants to impart this legal terminology to say the final blessing is now going to be given. And if you notice how Joseph you know, answers, he says, these are my sons whom God has given me in this place, who God has given me in this place. Jacob gave the credit to God for his faithfulness. Joseph also, if you notice in this passage, looks back with gratefulness and says, it is God who has given me these children, these sons. Okay, And then Joseph, you know, Jacob looks closely upon his grandsons you know, and he bursts out in praise. You know. He says, lo, you know, lo, God has also shown me your seed. The word law indicates actually surprise. He's surprised that not only has he seen Joseph, his son, he has also seen his grandchildren. In other words, you know, it is to say that Jacob is saying, I'm surprised you know, because I do not really expect any of this. I do not deserve anything from God. Looking back, he's saying, you know, I tricked you know, and uh, my brother of his birthright, and uh, this is what happened in part, time past. Did I deserve anything that God has given to me? No. He says, and I'm surprised that God has even blessed me like this. So in a very real sense, Jacob did not expect these mercies, and as a result, he was in a far better position to appreciate them. And this is an important lesson 
for us to learn. And this is the fifth application that we can pick up from this passage. We are not grateful people because we assume an attitude of entitlement and expect things that we have no right to expect. Why are we not grateful for all that God has given to us? Here, if you notice, Jacob, he says, I'm surprised that God has blessed me. Now, if we are not grateful, it could be because we assume an attitude of entitlement. We may think, no, I'm God's child, you know, I'm a Christian, God is my father, so I expect that God should do this for me. Remember, we have no right to expect anything, isn't it? When we think about, you know, all that we are, all who we are, you know, we don't deserve anything but hell because the wages of sin is death. We don't deserve anything at all. But God in his grace and mercy has blessed us so abundantly. So let's learn to be grateful. If in case we find that you know, we are not grateful, maybe it could be because we have this underlying feeling or thought in our mind. I expect God to do this for me, you know. Because I am his child, because I prayed, because I did this, I did that, I expect God this to God to do this for me. Remember, we have no right to expect anything at all. Let's learn to be grateful every day for the breath that God gives to us. It's a good practice. In the morning when you get up to say, Lord, thank you for yet another day, because we have no guarantee, isn't it? We cannot assume an entitlement for one more day in our lives. You know? So in the morning when you get up, make that a practice. Say, Lord, I thank you for giving me one more day. And at the end, when we go to sleep, thank God for helping you through the day. You know? Never let it be to say that you, know, you have handled it on your own. Fourthly, if you notice when Jacob is going to bless them, you know, Je uh, now Joseph you know, tries to make up you know, a bold attempt you know, to make sure that the younger one doesn't receive the, the uh, first blessing. It says, Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, you know, because the blessing had to be given to the right hand. And he brought them near to him. But what did Israel do, or what did Jacob do? He stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger one, and he laid his left hand on top of Manasseh's hand, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. You know. Now, Joseph makes this bold attempt you know, to say, hey, hey, look here, that's not the right thing. You know, that's not the right thing. Remember earlier on again, Jacob's desire to you know, bless his sons, you know, Manasseh and uh, grandson Manasseh and uh, uh, Ephraim, was a, you know, a contrary, if you notice, to Isaac, his father's desire to bless Esau rather than to bless you know, Jacob. Here, he's not saying I, it's one against the other. He says, I'm going to make sure that both will receive the blessing. Both will receive the blessing. But the younger one <coughs> receives the greater blessing. So he guides his hands knowingly. So Jacob knew exactly what he intended to do. And by placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he intended to give a greater blessing to the younger, which was contrary to the normal custom and expectation. Okay. What's the application that we can learn from here? Okay. You know, 
Jacob realizes that God has surpassed even his wildest dreams, you know, and this evidence of faith suggests his spiritual sensitivity and willingness to act according to the ways of God. This is not his own decision. He realizes this is what God is telling him to, and he recognizes God's ways are far, far greater and different from our ways. They are not our ways. If you notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible tells us that God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He has chosen what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God's ways are not our ways. They are far, far different. Okay. They are far, far different. So let's not put a spoke in the wheels and say, this is how I want you to work. No, allow God to do his work the way he wants to, because that is the best blessing for us. Then fifthly, we find that Jacob blesses Joseph. He blesses Joseph. And by blessing his children, he has actually blessed Joseph. And if you notice in verses 15 and 16, he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and let the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of their earth. And look at the, the blessing that Jacob gives, where he calls on the name of the Lord. And he looks at three specific names that he gives to God. First, he says, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. What does it say? It means the God who does not change. The God who is the same from generation to generation. The God who keeps his word and his promises and his covenants the God who never changes. Secondly, he says, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. A shepherd guides, a shepherd protects, and he looks back on his life and sees the guiding hand of God. And thirdly, he speaks about uh, the angel who has delivered me from all harm. Maybe Jacob at this time is thinking of the angel with whom he wrestled by the Jabbok River. He recognized that God has indeed protected him all these years. He's come to the end of his life. And when he looks back, he speaks about the faithfulness of God. He speaks about the guidance of God. He speaks about the protection of God. Application number seven. When life is uncomfortable and nerve-wracking, when one thing after another goes wrong, what we must remember is God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Maybe looking back in the year 2020 with all its pandemic, and even this year with all the pandemic that continues, maybe there have been many twists and turns in your life. Maybe there have been many mountains and valleys in your life. Maybe some could be of your own doing, some wrong that you have done, and as a result, you know, you got into a mess. Or it could be you didn't do anything wrong. It is just, you know, what is happening all around us, you know, with all the pandemic that is there, okay? So when life is uncomfortable and nerve-wracking, when uh, one after the other things are going wrong, remember, God is still 
faithful. He is still the Almighty One. He is still the faithful shepherd. He is still the angel who protects us. Maybe even this evening, stop for a moment and think of the people that God has placed in your life. How God has used them to shape you into the person you are today. And spend time thanking God for your heritage and for the people he has so graciously placed in your life. It could be your parents, it could be your friends, it could be your teachers. And I spend time saying, Lord, I thank you for these individuals. It has been your faithfulness that has been seen through, that has been seen through their lives that has helped me. Even in this last year, even in these months, Lord, you have been with me. If you notice, and as Jacob says, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. The phrase God who has fed me literally means the God who has shepherded me, who has looked after me. So when you look at you know, the year that has gone by and all that is happening in the world today, can you honestly say that, yes, the Lord indeed is my shepherd. He has taken me through good times and he's taking me through the bad times. The immature Christian will pray that God will withhold all pain and suffering, seeing these things as evil. But the mark of a mature Christian is that he can look back on his life and see that God can take the pains and pressures of life and cause them to work together for good in his life and ultimately draw one near to himself through them. That is what God is able to do. Can you tell this evening that yes, God has been faithful to you? The bequest to Joseph. Jacob says to Joseph, behold, I'm dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I'm giving to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the land of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Okay. Jacob assures Joseph there would come a day when Joseph will re-enter Canaan and when he did so, he will receive this parcel of ground that Jacob himself had secured. And if you notice, this was a piece of ground that was called Shechem. And this parcel of ground was the only real estate that Jacob ever owned in the promised land. And he was now bequeathing this to Joseph. Later in history, you will find that this would uh, indeed form the border between the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. And it would be in this place that Joseph's bones would one day be interred. And it was also in this place that Jesus himself walked when he came down to earth. John chapter 4 verses 1 to 30 records the story of Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman at the well of Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Think of the impact of that. He is living in Egypt. By faith, he says, I have this small piece of land. I'm giving this to you. Okay. And that was fulfilled. Joseph's bones were buried there. Not only Joseph's bones were buried there. When Jesus came down to earth, he walked on that piece of land. Okay. This is the promise that Jacob held on to. He didn't see it in fulfillment, but by faith, he looked forward. And that's what God wants us to do. Never give up on the faithfulness of God. Okay, Be willing to live your life, to be in the center of 
God's purpose for your life because that will be the greatest life that you can ever have. Application number eight, life is only experienced when it is lived in God's will. When he came to the end of his life, Jacob had no regrets. He looked forward by faith. And when we come to the end of our lives, we should also have no regrets. We should also have no regrets. Some people at the end of their lives will say, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected. Others may say, I wish I didn't work so hard. Others may say, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Some others may say, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Others may say, I wish I had let myself be happier. These are all wishes that people have mentioned to the nurses who were looking after them just before they passed away. People have regrets just before they die. But if you know the Lord, if you're living in the center of God's will, like Jacob, you also can say, no regrets. I'm sure that this is what God has promised in the future. Here's a small piece of land. And we also with assurance can say, as Jesus promised us, in my father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. When I come back again, I will take you to be with me forever. Okay. Let's also look at a final application of this passage that we have learned this evening. And I've called this a shock. Okay. Yes, there was a switch over that took place. But when we look into our own lives, and this is something that should really shock us. Okay. They should shock us. Can we really see the cross pictured in the crossing of Israel's arms? Of the crossing when Jacob crossed his hands and blessed the sons. Can we see this, Anna, as a picture of the cross that Jesus on which Jesus died? The sinner's birth order is reversed when we put our trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Because of the cross now, we are now accepted into his family. We are now adopted as his children. We now have a special inheritance that we can look forward for. Does this really shock us? Did we deserve any of this? That Jesus should come and die for us? Not at all. The Bible says when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The first switching over that takes place, the mystery of his special grafting, where Jesus chooses to bless the church. We are not really part of the Jewish tribe, but the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 11 and verse 17, if some of the branches to be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in unto them. Okay, we were all wild graft, uh, uh, wild trees, you know. We are not part of the main branch. But Jesus, because of what he did for us on the cross, as Gentiles now, we have been accepted into his family. We have been made a part of his covenant. We are called as his children, just as much as Jacob picked up the two grandchildren and said, they are mine, okay? Now, Jesus looks at the church and says, they are mine. This is something that we will never fully understand, you know, how God would adopt us, you know. This should really shock us to thinking, God, you love me so much. Secondly, the second switch, you know, 
is the mystery of his son dying. And as a result of that, you know, he chooses to bless the sinner. He chooses to bless the sinner. First of all, we have now been made a part, you know, of you know, his and our family. We have been grafted into that. It's, that's not really our place. We don't deserve it, but we have been grafted. And secondly, because of Jesus dying on the cross for us, now, instead of we paying the penalty, instead of we being made the, the curse, now God blesses us. Okay, God blesses us. The rightful place of Jesus is at the Father's right hand. You know? But what did he do? He was willing to leave heaven's glory and come down and die for us. You know? We should have been on the cross, you know, but Jesus took our place. That was the switch over that took place. And if we only we are willing to respond to what Christ has done for us on the cross, we will find that we would truly enjoy life. Yes, life is a journey. Okay, there will be many twists and turns, mountains and valleys. We have no surety about the future, but we can be sure of this one truth. The God who has been faithful in the past is also going to be with us in the future, is also going to be with us in the future. His faithfulness will never change. Now, one final thought over here. You know, we do not know when we will die, you know, but at any moment, if it comes, would you have any regrets? Okay? Have you lived this week so that if that was the day today, you won't have to look back with regret and remorse. Okay? Life begins when we say yes to Jesus. And when we say yes to Jesus, no matter how long you live, whether it's one more day or one more week or one more month or one more year or 50 or 80 years more, when the time comes, like Jacob, you would also be able to see the faithfulness of God. And my prayer for each of you this evening is that you would not uh, put off the time that you can spend with him, put off the faithfulness uh, of God, but instead respond to what God has done and be willing to say, Lord, here's my life. You live your life through me so that you too, at the end of your life, will have no regrets at all. Shall we bow our heads in prayer together?